ain't nothing going on in the news but the blues so I have to know what's going on there and uh, so I can stay out of the way of that I like joy in my life joy (laughs) before they get in your What's up? What's up? Good people. Welcome in. We're jam-packed today. When I mean jam-packed, I'm not even going to talk to y'all beforehand. We're going to get right into it. We're talking point guards today, and we have a lot of point guards on the show. We have Ari McDonald, Danielle Robinson, and the Hall of Famer Steve Nash. And I'm just going to let you guys into the life of point guards because I don't think y'all understand what we go through, the type of responsibilities we have. So I'm going to talk to point guards at three different levels, some starting their career, some still playing but that are vets and then a retired point guard that's had a great career. Mamas are kind of the point guards of the family. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about Dear Mama on FX. Let's go. Tap in. Big show. All right. So first of all, we have Aaron McDonald on here. uh, Serena's favorite player, by the way. So and we don't say that every time because she only has one. So Aaron, welcome to the show, baby. Thank you for having me. All right. I want to go point guard to point guard because I'm having conversations with Steve Nash, as you know, is a Hall of Fame point guard. But I want to talk to all different types of point guards because I'm a point guard and I feel like we have to think the game different. We know that there's an ebb and flow. We know that we have to take responsibility for things that ain't even our fault. Thanks. Okay, so I know you know what I'm saying when I start out. So first of all, what is a point guard? A point guard is a floor general, the extension of a coach on the floor. Um, just that person, like you should know every position of every play, what they need to be doing, where they need to be located on the court. So, I mean, and like you said, when things go wrong, it's your fault. Okay, <laughs> okay when things go right, it's whoever scored the most. Okay, right. so <laughs> look, we gonna really talk and I'm not gonna get you in trouble because I'm the point guard that's retired now, I'm gonna just say it. But what are things when you go into a game, like what things do you know you can control? I can control my effort, I can control my communication, and I can control just, I can control a lot, just like my turnovers. I know that's something I need to work on, so I think with those things, if I can control that, I'll be fine. And that's for you, and then what things can you control team-wise? Team-wise, I can control where everyone needs to be placed. So before a set is called, I need to get everybody organized and get them to get them in their spots. And also just the reads. I can control the reads. So if I'm seeing how a defender is playing, I need to look at the second line or if they're cheating or something and looking at my teammates and just knowing where they're successful at on the floor. So I love that you're saying this because you're going uh, like the next level where you need to set your teammates up, put them in good positions to be successful. What kind of prep does that look like for point guards? Because like, I'm just going to keep it real. Like I didn't had a lot of two guards on my team, three guards. They can just pull up to the games, honey. We going to give them the ball where they need it. They might they might have watched film. They might not have watched film. But point guards, we don't really have that luxury. <sighs> yeah. 
So just with me growing as a player, I've been very intentional, like with just like when we're watching film and I see who I have to guard or just how others who like, you know, I know that people last year, they used to top block Ryan, so it was mm -hmm. hard. So just seeing how she's being played or now I'm gonna see how the leash is being played and just who's guarding me. So I'm just watching to see what they're doing and I'm knowing their tendencies mm -hmm. on the defensive end. So I'm just reading them and just oh. read and react. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we reading the game. What did your offseason, like, what were you working on? Like, you know, like every year, you know, even Nia Coffey, she said she came back. She worked on her physicality more this offseason. She lifted more weights. Like, what was your focus this offseason for you? This year, I wanted to gain more muscle, which I Okay, did. come I'm on. Solid. I'm you solid. You me out here. Okay. <laughs> For one thing, just working on my reads and getting to my spot and just uh, working on my middies. Cause that's something I feel like, you know, I've got away from. Middies is a mid range. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's a you mid range. It's a, it's a lost art. Yeah, it's a lost art in the game. So just trying to perfect that and just make sure I'm more consistent at that and my three point shot. So who picks you up when you're down? Because a lot of times, like as point guards, we're the ones that are like, you got it, you got it. Hey, right. like who's picking you up then when you're going through something like, how do you get your yourself out or who's helping you out? For one, well, off the court, my husband is helping me out. Okay, and on the, <laughs> on the court, AD and I, we gained that, that trust. And so when I'm down, AD like, come on, A, you got it. Like, you got it. I so. that. And, and what is, because, okay, because I've talked to all range, like the rookies, their first year, other things. Like, so year three, what would you tell somebody that was about to enter training camp? They're coming from college. They have no idea what to expect. <laughs> like, you were there, but now you're year three. So like, what would you want to tell yourself before you started camp your rookie year? Looking back, I would have told myself, do what has gotten you here. Um, at times you might get lost in like trying to like put yourself in a bubble or allow others to do that for you. So just do what has gotten you, whether that's scoring, playing defense, being the best communicator, the best screener, do that and just stay the course. Um, basketball is a game, like yeah. don't get too high, don't yeah. get too low, and just when your number is called, be ready to deliver. I love that and hubby was the one that you said helps you off the court. How do you balance, like because athletes like, we're a full-time job for somebody to even be associated with right. us because we have schedules we got to keep. We need to go to sleep. We want to be rested for the next day. Like, how do you balance that? You got to, you know, are you, are y'all married yet? Are you engaged? Yeah, we got married. It'd be so, two okay. Y'all yeah. say she two years at this day. All right. But like, how do you balance being fresh on the scene as a wife? It's tough. Um, you know, marriage, it's work, definitely. Yeah. But, I'm married. Um, my <laughs> My husband was an athlete, so I mean, he understands oh, the schedule, he gets it, and he knows that, you know, I want to be great, so he understands the process and what it takes, so some days I might not see you till like 7 p.m., I'm sorry, but you know, it's my job, so he gets it, though. Wow, I love it. You get it now. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you for joining me here. Y'all already know, dap us up on the sidelines when we cheering for y'all, because we are your number one fans. I, I hear y'all on the side. You do? I hear y'all. Okay. Thank you for joining me, Eric. Thank you for having me. Aww. All right, so we had a point guard that's three years in the game, and now we're moving on to a vet, Daniel Robinson, who's still playing in the WNBA right now.
All right, so we have Danielle Robinson joining us, and it's crazy because we've been playing against each other forever. <laughs> forever. For a long time. So since when? Like, I mean, you went to Oklahoma. Yeah. That was the first time we played, but, like, what was them matchups? Like, I remember y'all had the Paris. Uh, we did, but I remember we went to UConn. I don't know if, I think you might have graduated by then, but we got whooped. Which we did. You don't know what year <laughs> no, was? No, we got whooped. We were in, in store, and we got whooped. Oh, man, it was bad. Coach Cole, I remember, she lit us up. We couldn't say hi to our family after the game, nothing. No. She was like, Get on the bus, and we're going back to Norman. It's funny because family members don't even know that they caught a stray. It's like, exactly. be like, hey, just everybody just going home. Yeah. Y'all just, y'all, you just have to text everybody. I'll go catch home. you next year. See you later. See you next year. So you're here in Atlanta. Welcome to the A, Thank by you. the way. Thank you. I'm excited for to have somebody. Like, come on, wait. Now, we must talk about the wait. Come on, now. Exactly. I'm excited to have you here, though, because you're a vet, and I feel like we grew up in the same era, so I feel like I know what you think, how you think in the big game of basketball, but what have you seen change? Like, because now you're playing with people that are coming in as rookies, so like, Crazy. yeah, it's like a, they're a whole different type of hoopers. Like, they are. So what would, how would you describe, like, what's different though? Um, I think a lot of the, you know, first of all, sometimes they don't know the players, so that's like in interesting that's for me. I'm like, I've been knowing them ten years. I've been playing this for that's ten an years. Ongoing conversation, it is. though, like it because is. the younger generation doesn't watch. They don't. That's crazy. So yeah. what? What are those differences you see? Yeah. So that um, I think a lot of them are surprised by the by the physicality. Um, mm -hmm. I think the the college game has changed a little bit um, with the physicality. When I remember when I was playing, it was like super physical. We played against like the A and M's. They were like a defensive team. All kind of scrappy, and so I said, y'all got had the Paris twins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> who's guarding? Who's guarding them? I don't know. They were guarding themselves. That was it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think the physicality is definitely one of the biggest things. Yeah, it's funny because I've asked like rookies and everybody in here, and that's one of the things that they literally mentioned was yeah. the hardest adjustment. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit of point guard to point guard though, because I'm going to be talking to all different types of point guards, and I want to because we have a different experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our game of basketball experience <laughs> yeah. is different. We have to worry about somebody else making a mistake that we don't have to just worry about our mistakes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. It's like, I know that that wasn't for me. Like, there's no way you're yelling at me for that. <laughs> that turnover yeah, exactly. that I had not, I told them to exactly. slow it down. So when you go into a game, like, what things are you knowing that you can control and trying to control being a point guard? Yeah, I think I can control my, my effort. I can control my energy. Those are always things that I can control. No matter if I'm having a good game, bad game, you're the first person that your team sees, yep. you know, out front defensively bringing the ball up and so you can't ever have bad body language so that's one of the biggest things that I learned especially in college like I'm very very hard on myself and my coach told me like you can't you can be hard on yourself but you can't show it right. externally and so I think that's you know, what I pride myself on is that no matter what, it got to be even kill. Missing a shot, making a shot, turn the ball over, I'm going to try and get it back, but my energy is going to stay the same. So, all right, so we're the ones, like, because I feel you, like, we got to have the good energy every day. Every and day. so, what are every we, <laughs> literally, every day we can't have a bad we day. We can't have a bad day. So, what happens when you're having a bad day? Like, who's helping you out? <laughs> my home life. Okay. No, that's, that's My real. home life, yeah. Usually, I just try and take care of myself in the same way. Get a massage. Um... You know, get in the sauna blanket and just like sweat everything out, uh, meditate.
But yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard. There are days where you're just like, ah, I just want to scream, you know? Yeah. Like, I want to tell the coach, like, this person, this person. But it's and like, you, you don't, can't, because you don't. Why? Because you're a good teammate, and you're going to take the brunt of it as a point guard, and that's just what you have to do. I just want people to really understand, <laughs> because every point guard I talk to, we have the same thing. We know that we can't have a day off. We know that we have to have a good energy. We know that we have to be on point every day. I don't know if I'm making sure people understand the oh, things yeah. that point guards it's have tough. to do on a regular basis. And then you come in on a new team. Yep. So you're here now. Yep. You're supposed to be like the vet, right. right? So everybody's expecting that. And Barbara Turner said something in practice. She said, I got to shout out D-Rob because I've been on her head, yep. right? And what did she <laughs> say to why she was shouting you out, though? Um, because she's been pushing me. She's been pushing me really hard to to be that person, to be at the forefront of everything in every single drill. Doesn't matter if it's a new team or not. Uh-huh. So I just, because I'm giving you grace right now because I you. know that I appreciate to that. be a leader <laughs> on a new team is not easy. It's not. To be a vet, point guard leader on a new team, you learn in the system too. Exactly. <laughs> everything. The pace, the communication, how, you know, everything's different. Every team, like terminology, all that is different. So, yeah. Um, you know, but I've been in, I feel like, in enough situations where, you just got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. Yes, you don't always have a lot of time, but you got to figure it out. And that's the tough part about, I don't have to just figure it out for me. I have to figure it out one through five. Literally. You know? So, one through 12, actually. Facts. Yeah. So, how is it going? Like, how has it been? I mean, you like you said, you play no different teams. You're here in Atlanta now. What's, what's the feels? Um, I like it a lot. I love it, actually. Um, you know, from the top down, the organization, it just feels, it feels right. Um, and so to be here, um, coming from a, a different situation, um, I'm happy. Yes. I like that. I'm real happy. Like happy. <laughs> and speaking of happy, you said your home life and different things. Ari talked about, like, you know, she, her husband is what helps keep her grounded. How are you balancing everything? Like, I like to ask athletes this because I want people to know that, like, we want to be our best, ultimate, great selves. Oh, yeah. So that means going to sleep at a certain time, eating exactly. at a certain time. But then there's other humans where they might have things going on in their life that you need to be present for. Exactly. So how, are you, how do you balance? Yeah, well, my wife, she's very, like, we're very, very opposite. Um, when we <laughs> first met, like, she was going to bed at, like, 9.30. I was, like, a night owl, 2 a.m. <laughs> oh, my God, it's now, the first. Yeah. Now I'm like, ooh, eight o'clock. Time to get <laughs> time to get in the bed. She rubbed off on me, but um, yeah, her energy. She's a health and wellness advisor, so like, oh, wow. she's all into you know meditating and taking time for yourself and really just being like at peace with yourself and knowing like what's going on. And so I've learned, I've grown over the last few years in that area because you know for me, I'm fine. I'm like now I'm like no, I'm tired. Like, <laughs> and how is I'm that? Because I literally have a problem saying I'm not fine. So why? Like, what made you break through to actually say what's really going on? Because People don't realize we're yeah. taught to always be fine. Oh, yeah, always be good. Yeah. Um, I think it was just, you know, everything that, you know, the climate of the world and just being wow. like, yeah, there are specific times where I don't feel like myself. I don't have energy, you know, like... Sometimes I wake up now at 34, like, ooh, my bones hurt. Yeah, you know, you're like still playing. I mean, like, we the same. We don't say you still playing. My bones hurt, and it's okay accepting that. So, I'm um, just being okay with that. Take care of them bones. I got man. you. I appreciate you joining me. Just know if I hop on you on the sideline, just hold me. Okay? I got you. I got you. Coming up next, we have the Hall of Famer point guard Steve Nash. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Point guard to point guard, this is lit. I'm telling you right now, because you're one of those players that everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows what you've done. Two-time MVP, which doesn't happen from the point guard position. So, Steve Dash, welcome to the show. Thank you, Renee. It's great to be here. Big fan of yours. Oh, please. Listen, y'all get me hype up in here. But listen, it's NBA playoffs (laughs) right now. And the NBA playoffs are going on right now. And we've seen some game sevens. You played in four game sevens during your NBA career, two with the Phoenix Suns in 2005 and 2006, and two with the Dallas Mavs in 2003 and six. And so I'm just curious because when you've already played against a team six games, what is your mindset? What are the things you're keying in on on that game seven? You know, that's that's why, you know, people say game seven is like the greatest phrase in sports, you know, because... <laughs> Like if you play a one-off elimination game, it can be great. You know, it's it's still everything's on the on the table and, and it's high pressure and high stakes. But when you play a team seven straight times, you know, and it takes like two weeks or more, you know, there's more on the table. You know, because now it's personal. You know, you've been going at them and they've been going at you for, like I said, two weeks. And so it's a really special opportunity to kind of finish a series in dramatic and, and emphatic fashion when when everything's on the line like that. So it's kind of like such a unique situation that it's really almost hard to prepare or to visualize. You have to go through it in a sense. Um, it's about controlling your emotions. You know, it's about being present. And, and fortunately, I think everyone has a different psychological makeup. You know, Definitely. We, some people are probably like a scared before the game some people are like just so confident and then it, it all kind of meets back in the middle when the what game started what, what was your energy during- uh, i think i was like in the middle i was like confident <laughs> but also anxious i was definitely kind of had nerves and anxiety but also confident and you know i think for me i always kind of had this thing like i hope like luck is on your side as well like i know i've done the preparation but you know how it is you have good games bad games the ball goes it doesn't go whatever like that stuff happens too so i always kind of almost had this like part of me that was thinking cosmically like what's happening and you know what's gonna how's this gonna play out i know i'm ready i know we're ready but you never know how the ball bounces and so unfortunately that's probably a waste of energy because you don't have any control over that anyways but <laughs> sounds good though but you're going to waste that energy it sounds good but <laughs> you, you you are you are going to waste the energy no matter what because it's a stressful thing but that is the best feeling in the world to have that stress and to have it all on the line and there's nothing better you know i coached a game seven a couple of years ago against uh uh, with the Nets against um, the Bucks, and uh, you know we went to overtime in Game Seven. KD towed the line on a three. Toe on the line. <sighs> yeah, um, but I just remember like how badly I wish I could have played. For real, <laughs> I was going to ask that. So you be what like in those big moments, 
you want to be out there because it's like, is it the control thing? Because you know that you're ready and could like control and do things that you wanted to do. Okay, let me let me be clear. Like, I really didn't want to be out there because I know those <laughs> days are gone. But the opportunity to play in a game seven full, is like, of course. <laughs> I, I was like, I was envious for the guys. Like, I was happy for them. I wanted them to enjoy it, and it's so special. And you know, you don't get the opportunity to do it. I played 18 years. I played, I think you said, in four, and so. You know, it doesn't come around often, and so I was I was excited for the team, but also in a way envious because I'll never play in a game seven again. Facts. No, it's I mean that's we have game fives in the WNBA, and mm-hmm. for three years straight, I played in three game five of fives. And you're right, there's something about that experience where that's why people want vets on their team. You know, like when people say like, oh, why why is this guy getting picked up? And it's like he's been there. He's going to know how to tell people what to think, how to feel and and all of those different things. And that also kind of makes me think about like when point guards and controlling the game, and we're going to get into that later, but as a hall of famer, you played in the league 18 years, two time MVP, which is an elite group that only very few can claim very few point guards in particular can claim, but there's so much talk about legacy and championships and Giannis talked about how that process matters. The process of all of it matters. You talked about you played in four game sevens. You were a part of the process. So do you think winning shapes a player's legacy? Like, do you have to win a championship for it to shape your legacy or does that really ma- or the process matter? You know, I think it does like in the modern, like I never won a championship. And I think if I had of, uh, you know, your, your perceived legacy would be different. Um, we're really close with Dirk and his family and the Finleys. Like we played together in Dallas and we're family friends and we, you know, go on vacations together. And like, that is a, you know, a cherry on top of their resume, you know, and for them to have, to have capped their career with the championship. So that is real uh, at the same time. Like this is all perceived, right? Like we all make we make all this, all these narratives up. So you can also like create your own, perception right and so for me like yeah it it hurts still a little bit that i didn't win a championship at the same time like life is so much bigger than basketball and the fact that i personally or my teams didn't get it done that's what makes it special to win must have played in four or five conference finals and i never got over the hump but gave it everything i had i was obsessed with my craft and i hope i'll be remembered as a great teammate leader and competitor um but didn't win a championship. So I'm sure my legacy is, I guess my body of work speaks for itself. I had a great career, but it didn't have that cap on it. At the same time, like I got so much out of the game of basketball, uh, so many incredible memories, and there's so much more to life that's important to me um, that I'm busy living, not busy looking in the past and seeing what I what I accomplished and what I didn't accomplish. No, I love that because it is the bigger picture. Like people, I think if people understood the process of how hard it is to even lose in a conference finals, like if people understood that that honestly, like, and I know like people are gonna be like, oh, more of it, like that honestly is tough. Like there's some teams that would love to make it to the conference finals. And then there were some teams that would love to make it to the finals as well. And everybody wants to win a championship. But if people really understood how hard the process was and how good everyone is, I mean, I was talking to Charles Barkley during a round table discussion and had Spike Lee, Jackie McMillan and all these other people on there it was called the great debate. And we were talking about who makes the rules for why something is a goat or the greatest or anything of that nature. I mean, because when you even look at MVPs awarded back to back, 
The MVP's Most Valuable Player Award was debuted in 1955, and there have been 14 instances by 12 people in which they have won back-to-back seasons, and you're one of them. So I don't want, like, there's not really a lot of people that can be in that category, and so your legacy is defined by that. What was that time period like, though? Like, I mean, and winning it once is one thing. To do it again, unheard of. Well, th- first of all, thank you. Um, you know, I was fortunate when I left Dallas to Phoenix, you know, that, that team was a perfect fit for me. You know, they had won 26 games the year before I got there. And I think we won 63 my first year, so 62, 63 my first year. But they needed a, a creator. They needed a leader. Um, and so it was a great fit for me. Um, and we had some really, I think in a way we impacted the game and, and I think we influenced the way it was played. We played fast, we played in transition, we played pick and roll and, and we're able to spread people out. And, and, um, I was able to create and, and that highlighted my strengths. You know, I think for me though, what's, uh, what really, what's important about that is the story. I'm a kid from the West coast of Canada. I didn't have NBA players in my neighborhood. You know I mean? I, I didn't like, there wasn't the access to the elite of the game, you know, we had Sonics games. On, on, we had the like the Seattle TV stations uh, to get Sonics games, which helped us fall in love and see the game at, at the highest level. But it's a story of a, a kid who had a dream and a ball and a hoop, and would got obsessed with it and would go out and practice every spare moment and just kept chipping away. You know, I, I had one scholarship offer to Santa Clara that came late. Like I visited Santa Clara after my senior year. The, they came to see me like in my provincial championship. So it wasn't like they even, they even saw me until like the end of my high school year. So I could have very easily gone to a Canadian university or college. So like, that's the story of, I think just having a dream, having a passion for something, sticking to it, putting days on top of each other and never letting go. And so it's a story about becoming obsessed with something. And, and it just, I think is something that for me is, it means a lot to me because I think it's something that can transfer to other people in whether it's in basketball or whatever it is in life to believe, to make a plan for yourself, to be creative, to put pen to paper and, and build um, the life you want to build. And so that's really what it means to me. Basketball is beautiful and, and I love the game and it's given me so much, but life is bigger. And uh, there's a lesson in there, I think, for that I can share from my experience with everybody. No, I love that. And it makes me you talked about building and it makes me think about, you know, you have a new app called Block Training where you talked about, you know, you're a guy that loves movement. Movement is essential to everything, your mental health, your mood, your sleep, your diet relationships are heavily influenced by the movement of the body. So just tell me about why you even wanted to start block training and about it. This all started in my career. You know, I was, uh, as you know, as I just said, you know, I had a one scholarship kid that just wasn't the biggest, tallest, fastest, most explosive player. I wasn't going to overpower people. I wasn't like, you know, at the end of the gene pool that some of these incredible athletes are that, that you're competing with. So I had to have this curiosity to try to win the margins. And so I, that led me to like, what are the best practices in like training, skill acquisition, recovery, diet, sleep, all these things. And now these things are all pretty common, but 20, 25 years ago, wasn't nearly as common. And so I went on this kind of journey to try to find out how I could improve and how I could compete in different ways. And you know, one of the ways that I that had a huge impact on my life was really training myself to move well, movement training. And I, I got to work with Dr. Rick Celebrini, who's now, you know, he, we were two two guys from the West Coast of Canada. Now he's the head of sports science for the Golden State Warriors and had a big impact on uh, on the Warriors, but just a, a brilliant movement 
uh, mind and genius. And just so a lot of the fundamentals, though, that I learned in my career, I thought I, I learned were could be really impactful for everybody. So just little principles of movement like mobility, stability, balance, coordination, the fitness industry, we're taught you have to go out there and you have to, you know, walk or run for an hour, three times a week. You know, I think that can be very inaccessible to a lot of people. Um, I think there's a smarter way to do this. We're talking about a lot of people that maybe have a, they're intimidated to, to start. the break we continue with steve nash and more about block training another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you have a daily eight routine about for something like, I think I read that, or I might have saw on Good Morning America. First of all, you were on Good Morning America, and I think you're hinting to the point of you create a routine that like you could actually get into a routine of it. You don't have to almost derail your schedule to do this daily eight routine. Right. That's right. So, so that was the, the, one of the evolutions of this whole concept was I wanted to share like the movement training principles that I'd learned. Cause I think they can extend people's health span. Right. So we talk about lifespan in the United States, average lifespan is 77 average health span, which is a growing term is, your good health years where you're active, you're living your best life and you're avoiding chronic disease. That's 63 and kind of plateauing. So like our good years are kind of plateauing, but we're living longer because of medicine. We should be able to close that gap where people can live a decade or two more at, at a high level where they're having great quality of life. And so fundamental to, to health span are exercise, mental health, diet, sleep, and social interaction. But exercise, and we say movement because the fundamentals of movement are purposeful quality movement are going to be long-lasting and longevity-inducing. But exercise is also research shown to help sleep, to help mental health, to help dietary choices, and to be the people that are, are more active are more likely to be socially interactive. So movement is a trigger for all the pillars of health span. So what I really want is to make it accessible for people. And so then I said, it doesn't matter if I have you know, Rick Salarini and, and the, or the best methodology in the world, if people aren't going to make a healthy habit out of movement, we're not going to make an impact. So I really started to study the habit sciences and what it takes to create a habit. And one of the principles of habits is to make it almost harder to fail to begin. So eight minutes. Is that why you, know, you made it so small? Yeah, I was going to say, is that why you pretty much shrunk it down eight minutes in your day? Makes you, I almost, you almost feel guilty if you don't do it because it's like, oh, I couldn't do eight minutes to my, to my movement today, to my body, to my health, to my mind. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And so, and so what it is, is like, it's whether it's you that's an elite athlete that uh, wants to just stay super fit and active. It could be something you do before you go work out or whatever it is that you, that you want to do. Or it's someone that's really, I don't know where to start. and But I know I fail every time I got to go to a group fitness class or I got to start a running program. I, it's too much. I don't know how to fit it in my life. Especially we get to our 30s. We wake up not feeling quite the same. We have 
a career, we might have a family, we have all sorts of obstacles. So creating a healthy habit, if you can't invest eight minutes, you know, I'm not sure how else I can help you. So, <laughs> like there's nothing else you can do for them, Steve. <laughs> right. So we're trying to make it uh, this, this, we're going to give, to give you a pathway to create a healthy habit. And, and hopefully you do it every day, but if, and at minimum you do it every other day. But what you do is you, you, you hopefully at some point in your day have eight minutes to do mobility and stability. There's three different intensities. So my mom in her seventies could do intensity one and you can build your way up or you could stay at intensity one. And at the end of the eight minutes, if you want to stick around because you're warm and this is all you're going to do today physically, there's a four minute Tabata. But if all you want to do is the eight minutes or all you want to do is four of the eight minutes, you are now creating a healthy habit if you can do it consistently. What the habit sciences also say is once you create a healthy habit, they beget more healthy habits. So now you start to make better choices. You're more active. You're more likely to make better dietary choices and improves your mood. So that was a big thing for me is I'm a super active person. I play tennis and soccer like, you know, four or five, six times a week, depending on the week. I get a sweat. Every, yeah, I get a sweat every day, really as much because I'm a physical person as because of my mental health. You know, I can't sit until I've moved. But for me doing the daily and creating it and then doing it, which was kind of based off things I do in the morning anyways, while I'm getting the kids ready for school, I like get my little 10, 15 minutes when they're settled to like get some movement in. But I built it. And what I realized by doing it every single day and being religious about it is that I start my day with an accomplishment. I now have momentum. I'm in a better mood. I have presence. I can now invest in my relationships from a a position of, of strength rather than you know, I'm not quite here. I'm thinking about a million things. I, you know, I'm, I'm not organized in my mind. So it's like the mood, the mental health, the ability now to take on your day, the choices you make after doing that or starting your day in that way. And this is designed for everybody. So whether you are going to go to the gym and lift big weights, this is a great warm up for you. Whether you're going to go play a sport, great. If you're someone that's just looking to create a fitness routine or a healthy habit, this is a place to start and a place to stay with as you grow through it. Or as you now, maybe you, you make this a healthy habit and then you become a runner or a cyclist or you play a sport. But there has to be an avenue for people to move and extend their health span through movement. It's interesting you talk about your mental health so much because I would think that when you played in the NBA, did people value mental health? as much as we value it now because it's great to hear you say that because a lot of times even I would say even when I played it wasn't as valued as much as it is now so this is almost like a new beginning or a new age type of athlete 100% I'm glad that now we talk about mental health when I I remember maybe my first two years in the league having a lot of anxiety but didn't even know what it was like we, we didn't express it. You just were like, why do I feel this way? Why am I so nervous? Like, you know, after lunch on the day of a game, like, this is crazy. This is not healthy. But I didn't know, like, you're anxious. Let's talk this out. Let's figure this out. Let's, let's realize why. I was just like, bury that, bury that, internalize that, get rid of that so I could keep going, be there early, stay late keep competing, fighting, you know, I got my way through it, but that's not, it's not always the way, right? Like not everyone has a path through that. And so movement, I mean, exercise has, has been proven to be by far the most effective uh, antidepressant and most relevant mood booster, all those things. But more importantly than that, I'm hopefully that we can make an impact on people's mental health. It's just great that people can talk about it now because we all right. have to build our minds and our and our mentality and our willpower and, and our mood and all those components of, of being able to navigate life. And so it's a it's a powerful tool that now we're open to expressing it because it wasn't definitely wasn't always the case. No, I love that. It seems like you built box training almost off of athlete tendencies where they say athletes, you 
can do a book, like put a timer on when he walks in the building, what their schedule is. And so getting into a routine we know as athletes is really everything. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about point guard to point guard, because whenever you look, I'm sorry, block training is what I meant to say, but whenever you talk about point guard to point guard, I think that that's what like point guards do. They control, like you even said it, like you're like, huh, I'm internalizing it. I'm getting rid of it because every day point guards have to be okay. You know, like there's certain things that point guards, you can't walk into the, like if you walk into the gym and your energy isn't right, it's going to be so noticeable because point guards have this added pressure to every day, bring it, know what's going on, have a good positive energy. I would say in this day and age, has the term point guard changed almost in a sense of that's not necessarily all the requirements? I've never heard that before. I think you really made a great comment there. Um, one, I think the point guard position has changed. It's now become more like a first point of attack rather than like the person in charge of running the team. But your comment about the mood of the point guard being so important and infectious because you are the point of attack, whether you're an organizer, a facilitator, or a scorer, you have the ball, you are the first kind of image that your teammates see when they start a possession or at either end of the floor. And so I never thought about it that way, but that is that is a big responsibility to be as even keel, to be, as you said, okay, to and, and not even keel, even keel under pressure, but more than okay just in general, like, right? like you have to have an infectious, an infectious energy most of the time or else you're not really handling your responsibilities as a point guard. So I, I think that's really interesting. I've never heard someone talk about it in those terms, but that is a, a really important measure of being a connector is being in a, in a good mood or bringing positive energy or not bringing negative energy or bringing the room down. So that that's an astute point, but I do think it has changed today. Um, I also feel for this generation of players, you know, they grow up with social media and there's just, it's such a different all encompassing thing that has affected them. I feel for them. It's unavoidable. It's the world they grew up in and it's not going away. So we're not changing that. It's like, we have to learn to adapt and handle it. And so that's just another element that players today have to recognize and have to deal with. And that can be very difficult. So yeah, I think the point guard's role has changed, but I think that old school DNA can also be a huge, huge part of a successful point guard and a successful team. No, I love that. And you talked about adjusting and it's always difficult when a point guard has to adjust. You could become a vet where your role could change, but you're still supposed to be leading your group and leading your team. So you played 18 years in the NBA. You also coached, but what is it like navigating that role to where you went from MVP to now your minutes are not the same, but you want to still be the same leader? Like what is that adjustment period like because we see it a lot of times in players you know Russell Westbrook had to come off the bench for the Lakers in the beginning like how do you adjust when you're a point guard and you're trying to lead but you're not as big of a role anymore that is the mortality of an athlete right you you yes. go through that stage especially elite athletes you go through that stage where you have the identity formed around this ability and history and and then all of a sudden you're not quite the same and usually you're the last to recognize it because you still have the identity and the competitive spirit and you still can do it in glimpses so you still feel and identify with that person and so it can be really challenging for players at the back end of their career you know for me I went to the Lakers as a free agent you know was it 2012 and so I was 38 
I just played in the All-Star game as a 38-year-old, my last All-Star game. Legendary. First of all, you this is what? <laughs> At 38, you played in your last All-Star game? Yes, but my, my point, and not so much to pat myself on the back, is to say at that moment in time, I still thought that I was that dude. You know what I mean? I thought, <laughs> I'm going to bring this to the Lakers. And, of course, like, probably was declining more than I recognize. And then I also, my first or second game with the Lakers, I, I bumped knees and broke uh, my tib fib joint on the inside yeah. and it was it took me like man six eight weeks to get over it but what happened was it really bothered my nerve system and i had already had a back issue that i'd managed my whole career and there's kind of this theory in neuropathy that there's two nerve interruptions it can be like a, a more of a major issue and so i my my issue was like yeah probably slowing down a little bit but more than that it, it was like i couldn't recover so like my level would drop for two or three games, uh, you know, and I couldn't kind of recover from, from playing like I could. And so it, that was a hard, hard, hard thing to go through. And one of the things that helped me through it was a friend of mine sent me this article, an old article about an Eastern European uh, athlete, I believe, like an Olympian. And, and it was built on this old, maybe Russian or Eastern European adage that the athlete dies twice. And so, like, we all die a natural death in our life, but the athlete dies at a young age and has to kind of be reborn as someone else. And so, if you look at it in that, those terms, it can really be a benefit to you because the last thing you want is is to never kind of grieve over that former self and still identify with that person that actually is never showing his face again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because Father Tom is undefeated. It's right. So whatever the mechanism <laughs> is to be able to grieve and move on and become somebody else, which isn't easy even if you, you know, have the steps laid out for you because you're still a human being. You still like just just strange things. Like I remember it took me six to 18 months to kind of go through that process and be very like pointed about it. Be very like, you know, clear that I'm going through this. This is going to be difficult. Admit it and try to work through it. And there would just be days where you'd be like, fine, fine, fine. And then one day you'd be like, yeah, it, re it really leaves a hole not to be able to drive downtown and show off in front of 18,000 people. Yes, because you were at the top of the top. Like a lot of people don't make it to the top of the mountain. And so you made it to the top of the mountain. Like that's what where you were. And then now you're not even on the mountain. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. You just want to climb. And, and so you can imagine, if you don't deal with it, if you don't face it head on and try to deal with it, it's going to be really difficult. You know, it's going to, it's going to present itself in other ways in your life. And so accepting it and still working through it because accepting it's one thing, but you still are an emotional being. You still have to go through that. And so, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting way too deep into, no, into what I this is. I love it because that's, this is real talk. Like this is what every athlete, not every athlete, but maybe a lot of athletes will experience and people don't really talk about it because and just now we're talking about mental health for athletes. So nobody was definitely talking about it when you were retiring or, or getting at the end of your career. Anytime you're in Atlanta, please come bring your daughters to a game and make sure y'all go check out the app block training. I'm telling you right now, if you ain't got eight minutes, I don't know what to tell you. Hall of Famer <laughs> Steve Nash, thank you for joining us on Montgomery and Company. Amazing. Thank you, Renee. It's a pleasure to meet you. Big fan. Listen to the full interview with Steve Nash. Tap into MoCo tomorrow. And now we have the point guards of the family, the mamas.
right, let's get it popping with the crew. Now, we just had a lot of point guard energy, big point guard energy on the pod. But you know what I was kind of thinking? Moms are the point guards of the family. I feel like the moms are constantly setting up the family for success. They know where the kids are supposed to be. Like a point guard knows all the plays that are supposed to happen. They know everything that's going on. They're the heartbeat of the team. So hello, family. What have you guys been doing lately? It's funny because... I'm on the go a lot, you guys. So this is almost our family catch-up time. So hello, family. What's good, squad? What y'all watching? What y'all watching on TV? What's going on? <laughs> Let me just step in there. When you said the moms are the point guards, I think we play all five positions. You know what I mean? said, <laughs> <laughs> I'm positionless, honey. Don't just put me in a box. <laughs> the new age athlete where they don't even want a label. I was a proud point guard. I'm like, point guards in the building. <laughs> we, you get it started, but... You you know, there's a team and usually the mom is team five. <laughs> oh, goodness. OK, well, positionless team five. What you got on the tube lately? Let me just prioritize it. Mine's kind of a, a quadri of things. So first of all, you know, the NBA playoffs are on. So you always have to keep up with that. And then I always keep in touch with the news because, you know, ain't nothing going on in the news but the blues so i have to know what's going on there <laughs> and uh, so i can stay out of the way of that i like joy in my life joy <laughs> <laughs> and then we marathon watch i guess if i wanted to really say what we marathon watch we just finished watching uh will trent very good series. Oh, we're watching that too. First yeah. of all, they watched it without us. Shouts to them. <laughs> yeah, we, we started that we, together. I was like, I saved that show. I was not even watching the show. I was waiting for whenever my family come visit. It's always hard to find TV to watch with Diddy because Diddy, you can't have no cussing, no nope. kissing, no. no nothing sexual, <laughs> no. nothing that might be inappropriate. So you can see how that could limit you from most of television today. So we found a good show in Will Trent. I'm like, oh, this is perfect for Diddy. He'll love this. And then we watched it and he really loved it. So we introduced them to Will but Trent. But it has some of that in there. It has some of that in there, but Diddy will watch it okay with Snook by herself. But if he's watching it with us or the grandbabies, it's like it's a no-go. No, but happen. he enjoyed the show and then they just went and watched the whole thing without us. Okay, and then Abbott Elementary, that, you know, we... We 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 did that, so we have to find something else to marathon watch. Now. I love that though, Abbott. Shouts to Abbott Elementary. I remember when uh, Snook and Diddy came in town? We're like, oh yeah, we were gonna save it for them to watch, and then when we put it on, <laughs> Diddy's like, oh yeah, the episode. That's a good episode. Y'all should watch that. We're like, what? I was so confused. I'm like, Diddy, how do you know this is a good episode? He's like, I already seen this like, one. Watch what happens in this part. I'm watch like, this oh, part. watch wow. this part. I'm like, come on. Every time we sit down, he wants to turn on Will Trent. He loved it. I don't like that show. Now he off without me what'd you say cole what you watching cole so with our busy schedule vance has a very busy schedule but <laughs> when we do get our couple of minutes i am consumed with the playoffs <laughs> and now he's taking an affinity to the baseball because the orioles are doing good what? so yeah the orioles are doing wow. pretty good so now we're now we're really on snooze factor watching baseball games so I that's all that, i've had time though. to sit Listen. down and look at 
I'll take my nephew playing baseball over football any day and twice on Sunday. So <laughs> I'm with that. If he wants to, okay. Switch it over. I know. We, Come listen. on with it. Come but he on. is a sports connoisseur. The other day he's watching lacrosse. One day he watching hockey. He don't care what it is. As long so as he's sport, just an athlete, right? He just he, wants to watch it. So as long as there's some bumping going on. Yeah, exactly. We have to catch up on Abbott Elementary. Like we got to do a good binge fest on Abbott. But Serena and I have been locked in. And honestly, when I think about it, like we've been watching Dear Mama, right? It's on FX. It's about Tupac and his mom and his family. He was raised by the Black Panthers. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched it, but it's just like, first of all, to see like that footage almost felt like it was fake footage because it was like, dang, we right here in the like we in the thick of it. We was in the meetings. We was in the room where it happened. So it was just crazy to see that documentary and they put it together perfectly, like the way they use the music at the right times and and to show his genius. And, you know, a lot of times with a genius, there comes flaws. And it makes me think of like right now we're talking about it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And a lot of people are talking about mental health awareness aspect of Dear Mama, where he even would say it like, you know, we need help. These young kids is being raised. Now, he would like literally be saying the things that now we recognize is called mental health. Like he was basically saying we need mental health awareness for our black community. And so it was like, dang, that's crazy that sometimes a genius is so far ahead of their time. But has anybody seen Dear Mama? What are y'all's thoughts if you have? Because that blew my mind. Like, Well, one of it, I feel like I lived um, as I was talking to mom Tupac was only seven years older than I was so when he was like big and heavy all that Suge Knight Death Row the music award shows and all that I kind of like it was like remembering it was like going back because I knew every word to every song Tupac <laughs> ever made now, so I didn't did know I. anything about I know so nothing about I. the lifestyle right mom <laughs> nothing about the lifestyle that I know but I loved the music I loved everything about it so I kind of was almost kind of like um just to learn like learning the backstory of the people in his life like glow right. I love on glow Come she on. was my yes, that's an MVP for real so yeah. I loved it I thought it was really good I thought it took me back every time they put a song going I was up here singing every word getting a sway on but um it's really good they did a great job with it yeah they did snook what'd you think about it did you see it what'd you think about it i did and again like nikki i, I lived a lot of that and you know when they were talking about the struggle you know there were two sides to the struggle there was the non-violent side and then there was the you know the more activist uh side that was a little bit more violent and i felt like i was kind of caught between the middle of both of them with my grandparents now they taught to always do right to treat people right and all of that and you know for us not to do anything mean to other people but when someone did something to you put their hands on you then they jumped onto the other side of the coin there and the <laughs> you know, balance is okay at that point oh, once they cross the line i and, agree and, uh, you know, so I, that, that's the way I was raised. And, and you know, it brought back a lot of memories because right now I think we are almost in a worse state in this country as we were back then. I, and I don't think that uh, since we've been through what we've been through, that the way out of it this time is not going to be so 
uh, is I don't want to say easy, but it's not going to be so forthcoming. Let me or see. civil. Right. Or, right. Or civil. Correct. I agree with what you're talking about, too, with the mental health aspect of it. Like when I was looking on on Twitter, um, I people were talking about it. They were like, oh, it's so sad that, you know, that basically like uh, uh, Fanny, she was suffering from PTSD, which a lot of people in the community, they don't get help you know, for, for those kinds of things. So this is like, it's, it's been a stigma for so many years. Now it's kind of starting to get destigmatized. I don't know if that's the word for it, but um, you know, like it's it, that that's what led to her addiction. And that you see that a lot in the community. And it's so sad because it's like, when you don't have professional medical help for those kind of things, you do see a lot of people resort to other means yeah. to just kind of escape it all. And, and, you know, it's, it's incredible it made me cry at the end when the when when glow on glow uh she was yeah. talking about that they were that the fact that they existed and the fact that they were able to do everything that they did despite like everything that they went through like she was pregnant with him in jail and you know like even his name like that was something that really stood out to me too though that she said that she named him tupac amaru because yeah. of the the um i think the it was like an inca yeah inca. an incan uh, emperor or incan king or something that he his people were basically taken over by the spanish conquistadors and she wanted people to know that this happened to other people as well and i was like wow like the fact that she dedicated right. her whole being her son to this to just humanity is just she she was an incredible woman like, she was amazing yeah she was and served as a lawyer and was very successful i mean she broke that courtroom down you know so yeah she was yeah incredibly smart yeah imagine too to know how large the case was you know because it's like if i'm going to represent myself for a speeding ticket i think i got this like you know what i'm saying i right. think that me you and the cop we can go head to head i think i can handle my own but for the things that they were accusing her of it's like for you to represent yourself and not only yourself, yeah. but you know that you're ha going to have a trickle effect of what happens with everybody else and still did it and was still successful. Like who does that? But she did it. I think that more so what they were being charged with, they couldn't trust a public defender and they definitely couldn't mm. afford a real attorney. So they had to kind of bet on themselves because at that point, the way they were stacking the deck against them, they thought yeah. they had nothing to lose. So at least get the word out of what really happened, what was really going on. It did work to her benefit because she was so intelligent and they did not expect that. Yeah. So that was where they, she caught them off guard. But what public defender were they going to get? Right. And I mean, it's tough, but uh, it's still honestly, too, though, even if I didn't have options, I could say, all right, I'm betting on myself and I could bomb and do terrible. Yes. So I'm yes. like the fact yes. that she bet on herself is not necessarily the groundbreaking thing. But it's like, dang, you got yourselves out of this type of case. Like, I think I could win against a ticket case, like I was saying. But well, she said that nobody was going to be able to tell her story better than than her. And she was she right. And, and they said that she thought that she was going to go on on the stand, but she put the other people on yeah, the stand. The she put them on trial. The Black <laughs> yeah, I love that too, because I'm going to end it right here because we could talk about this forever, but she basically said when there were undercover people, I think they called it, what is it, no intel or uh, pro intel or something mm -hmm. like that. Those undercover people would behave all the ways like Black Panthers in a sense of also to create relationships. Obviously, she dated within the Black Panther Party because, you know, proximity and like mindedness. I could see how that could happen. But 
when you have an undercover cop doing that, she started to ask the question. So when you were sleeping with women in the Black Panther Party, were you an undercover cop or were you a Black Panther? And she went down a list of multiple things. When we raided this place, were you an undercover cop or were you a Black Panther? And she went yeah. list by list by list. And that's why I think, look, first and foremost, I always say moms, man, Snook don't want to be a PG, but there was a mama on the stand that day and she was a mama. No, I didn't say I didn't want to be a PG. I said that's one. She's a clutch player. Okay, isn't, that, isn't that a clutch okay. player? Still want to be the clutch player where she don't just be whatever we need us to be. But honestly, if you think about that, that's what moms are. So, dear mama, man, that was a beautiful documentary. You could tell that they put time, thought into it. You could tell Wonderful. that they was going to give you the real, raw transparency. Um, and honestly, that's what point guards do. I'm going back to that because this is a point guard episode, baby. We'll talk to y'all next week. We'll see y'all next week where it's a generational thing. Here at Montgomery and Company. The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.